the Angel Next Door podcast, where we will talk about all things angel investing, what it is, who does it, how do we find them, what does it mean to invest in an early stage company. If you have ever wondered how you can affect the change you want to see in the world, then tune in to learn more. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, I'm talking to CEO and co-founder of Start Engine, Howard Marks, as we work to demystify equity crowdfunding. Start Engine is one of the biggest equity crowdfunding platforms. They recently acquired competitor Seed Invest, and the combined amount of money invested is now over a billion dollars between the two platforms. Before co-founding Start Engine, Howard co-founded video game giant Activision, the $37 billion market cap video game industry leader selling millions of games. Howard tells us how Start Engine began as an accelerator to help entrepreneurial companies grow, but he quickly realized access to capital was a bigger problem to solve, and he turned Start Engine into what it is today. We talk about the recipe for an entrepreneur to be successful in an equity crowdfunding capital raise and how he wants Start Engine to be the Schwab of alternative investments. We also touch on the secondary share market he's creating to allow more liquidity among this asset class. Don't miss this episode jam-packed with all kinds of interesting tidbits. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Marsha. Very happy to be here. Well, I am super excited to have you on today as we try to demystify crowdfunding. That's something I've been super passionate about over the last, oh, I don't know, really several years since crowdfunding was became a thing in May of 2016 when the regulations changed. So I'm really interested to hear about your journey and how you got to start Engine and how you became the founder of that company. So as you know, the podcast is called Angel Next Door, and we talk about how people even became angel investors to begin with. So maybe we can start there with your journey and then how that led you into crowdfunding. Absolutely. And so I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years. And I started in college when I was University of Michigan, started my first company. There was my business partner, college roommate. And we end up building a few businesses. And you know how it works at the beginning, you're learning how the world of business works. And we've had some small successes and a bunch of more failures than successes. And we have to keep moving forward. And as an entrepreneur, the, 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 the key thing is grit the intersection of passion and resilience. And we certainly were resilient. We're young, very resilient. And it led us to the, the good fortune of finding a company called Activision that was in trouble, was was basically almost bankrupt. And we bought a controlling stake in it and restructured it into the largest video game company in the world, which recently Microsoft has made a, an offer to purchase it. And that transaction is underway for close to 68 billion. So wow. we, we've had success in, in our world. And after that, I, I I I built some other companies, another video game company called Acclaim Entertainment. And then I just decided I wanted to help entrepreneurs in Los Angeles. I was very frustrated because I thought in, in the late, around 2009, LA was not getting its fair share. You had a lot of accelerators in different cities, such as Boulder, smaller than LA, uh, Austin, smaller than LA, 
And I didn't understand how come we don't have any accelerators in Los Angeles. There were in New York. There were, of course, in Silicon Valley. And so I built Start Engine initially and launched it in 2010 as an accelerator. And we helped entrepreneurs and we invited all the angels in LA to come and participate at the demo days. And we were doing about five companies per quarter. And what I noticed very quickly was the the capital available from angels was not even across everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was capital available from angels, but they all wanted a lead. But if you don't have a lead, you can't get their capital. There was kind of a, I would say, uh, a difficult, I would say, structure for entrepreneurs who were starting up. And then if they didn't have the right pedigree with the right idea at the moment, they were not getting capital. So it was just a little bit disconnected. The bets I was making were mostly on people. So I looked at the people, I liked them, I made the bet. I didn't really focus on the idea as much because that changes and it turns out it did. We've made some, out of 59 investments, we made a few amazing bets that were very good for the fund. So we returned capital to the investors, but I would say the majority, 90, 95% were just awful. Mm -hmm. Why were they awful? They couldn't raise any money. Why couldn't they raise money? There is the issue. Why could they not raise money? And they were in the demo day and there were plenty of, we had about two to 300 people attend every demo day. And they were mostly angels and small funds. We didn't have the top VCs, but they didn't need to be there. It was too early for them anyway. Right. And I don't know. A lot of the entrepreneurs who couldn't raise money were discouraged. And when you see someone who's discouraged, it's pretty sad. You know, you look at it and it's like, hey, they're going to quit. They're going to stop the business. Their dreams are shattered and they're going to move on to something else. Now, that's totally normal. That's part of the journey of an entrepreneur. But the numbers were pretty staggering. We we saw 90% of the companies that we were helping not get any capital at all, <laughs> like zero. <laughs> now, two possibilities. One, I was a terrible investor, right? I picked the wrong people, correct? Or two, the system for availability of capital was not working well because they they were not able to tell who were the right bets to make. Right. And I think there was a lot of bias in there because I had a lot of women who were founders and they were the ones who had the most trouble raising capital and and I had a few minorities and a lot of people who were educated at universities, they're not considered the top in the country, the elite. And I started thinking, There's something wrong. So, you know, instead of trying to guess, I went and did some research. I took 5,000 VC investments that were done prior to 2010 over the previous five years. And I noticed that a majority, like 80% of those investments were done for people who graduated from 24 schools in this country, only 24. Now, keep in mind that in our country, we have hundreds or if not thousands of universities, some amazing schools, right? 24, 24. Now you probably can guess what those are. You know, you take the IVs, you take the Stanford. Stanford, But everybody else, zip. (laughs) And were you getting, you were getting the data from what, like PitchBook or? No, I didn't get it from PitchBook. I got it from a a university that did did, did the research. They took all the data. And they compiled it and published it. But I, I looked at it differently than their, their publishing. They published it just to show 
you know, the data so that people can analyze it like me. And I did. I published an, a blog around it. And I got a lot of feedback from people. Some were angry with me because they said, look, Howard, uh, this shows not the right visual for the VC industry. Others were so happy, said, I knew it. I knew it. Now I know why I didn't get money, you know? Right. And that discovery led me to say the classic question, which is, how can we fix it, right? And I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an operator, and I'm certainly not a professional investor. I am not that person. So I went on to a discovery and I bumped into an article that was in the Wall Street Journal that talked about the Jobs Act that just was released in April 2012, signed by the president. I was in knee-deep, middle of doing all these accelerator demo days. And I looked at it, I read it, and then I realized no one was reading this article. Why? Because there was not no discussion. Couldn't find a lot of information. I had to go and Google the find the act itself, the Jobs Act, and read it. Now, for those who may not know, when you read an, a congressional act, it's unreadable. It's very legalese, very hard to decipher, but I did it anyway. That's like, what, 800, 2,000 pages, something crazy like that? <clears throat> a lot of pages, a lot of footnotes, and a lot of statements that refer to other statements. So you have to start really putting the time to decipher the whole thing. Now, obviously, the SEC was tasked in April 2012, as soon as the president signed it, to implement it. And then the SEC took about a year to publish some drafts on different sites. And then it took another year to draft more drafts. All told, it took the SEC about four years to go from a congressional act to actually implementing the JOBS Act And then in the Jobs Act, you had Regulation Crowdfunding, which was May of 2016, Regulation A, which was June of 2015. There was also Regulation Title II of the Jobs Act, which is the Reg D506C, which actually was released a lot earlier. That was in 2014. So you think about it, you're piecing a big act into pieces. And I looked at it and I said to myself, this is going to be a revolution. Why? Because for the first time in 80 years, the consumer has the ability or the right to invest in early stage startups. Now, let me go backwards a little bit. Yep. After the depression, there was the SEC was formed, 1932, 1933, different acts were pronounced and the SEC was formed. And they immediately said something very simple that said, look, if you are... A sophisticated investor, an accredited investor, you have a certain amount of income, you're allowed to invest. If you're not, which is 95% of the population, you can't unless the company registers with the SEC and takes the company, publicly discloses all the information, you know, the financials and everything. Now, people see when you go public as a means to go on a trading marketplace like the NASDAQ New New York Stock Exchange or the -the over-the-counter market, which is true. But you can also go public like we are, StartEngine, and we're not traded on any marketplaces. But the point is you've registered with your shares with the SEC. You have all these disclosures. Now, in 1932, companies had to make a decision, and they did. Some registered and, and were publicly either traded or disclosed to investors, and others stayed private. The ones that stayed private got money 
using a thing called Regulation D, which is an exemption for registration, which allows you to invest if you're wealthy accredited, which means you have a certain amount of income and wealth outside of your home. That's how they set it up. And it never changed. The only thing that changed was the ceiling. They kept raising the ceiling as to what represents an accredited investor, which frankly meant less people could do it. Right. That's the world we lived in prior to the Jobs Act. When I saw the Jobs Act, I said to myself, this is a revolution because now in the last 80 years, since the last 80 years, you couldn't. Now the consumer can. And, you know, the consumer wants in. Why? Read all the articles. Oh, this investor went into Uber, made a thousand times their money. Can't do that on the stock market, not at least easily. So the consumer out there had the interest to be part of the conversation. They want to be in on it. Their neighbor starts Apple and they can't invest. That's unfair. That's unfair. But that was the way it was. So the new rules came in and changed it. And so to me, that was the revolution. To others, it meant nothing. It was just quiet. There was not a lot of things going on. I thought, frankly, every broker dealer in this country is going to start a division to handle equity crowdfunding. And it did not happen. In fact, when we launched Start Engine as an equity crowdfunding platform in June of 2015 was the first offering, which was a car company. We were almost it, believe me or not. I, I don't understand. Where were all the other people? <laughs> where were all the other platforms? There yeah, were a few that. coming out. There was Seed Invest that was already alive doing the Reg D5060, which is public Reg D. You can publicly disclose it. And that's nothing most people didn't know is you are not allowed to solicit publicly wealthy investors before the Jobs Act uh, 506C, Reg D. It used to be Reg D was hush-hush. You knew someone, you called them on the phone, you met with them, but that was it. No public. You couldn't go to a demo day and say, I'm raising money. You are not allowed to do that. <laughs> you certainly couldn't put it on social media. No, nothing. You could not go public with it. You couldn't have right. a public announcement. Like you're at a conference and say, hey, guys, we're raising money from wealthy people. You couldn't do that. Anyway. We launched, so there was Seed Invest that was launched before us. Then we launched, and then in May 2016 came the regulation crowdfunding, where at that point you could raise one million. Since then, it's been raised to five, and came out WeFunder and and Republic as well. These companies, and there were others, but the four of us, I would say, were the ones who were the most active in the market. Yeah, And we decided, decided that my mission is to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and then stay in control. And everyone had a different mission statement, but we were doing the same thing, which is helping entrepreneurs raise capital directly from the public on our platforms. And the SEC has done a, a phenomenal job putting the rules in place. Not easy to understand, by the way. You have to read really carefully. We had great attorneys helping us implement those rules. And so we decided we're going to be integrating ourselves differently than our competitors. Our competitors typically were either a funding portal, which means regulation crowdfunding, where you can raise at that point one million, and others were broker dealers like Seed Invest, where you can actually use regulation A to raise money. At that point, it was up to 50 million. Now it's been raised to 75 million. 
And the world was divided in two, the, the broker dealers and the funding portals. And I decided, you know what? Why divide it? Why not unite it? So we decided that regulation crowdfunding is a great way to get started, raise a million, and since then it's been added to five million. And then you use regulation A to keep going, raising more money, you know, up to 50, now it's 75. And that was our decision. So we added to Start Engine a broker dealer, which allows us to do regulation A, a funding portal, which allows us to do regulation crowdfunding, a transfer agent, which allows us to track all the shareholders. And that is required per the rule. The company needs to either demonstrate they can track it or they need to outsource it to a registered SEC transfer agent. And regulation A, which is the $75 million rule, is required to use a third-party company. Regulation crowdfunding is optional, but you but the, the standard is pretty high. You might as well just outsource it. It's cheap. It's, it makes sense. So we built a transfer agent. And then I decided, you know what? We're not done. We need to provide liquidity to, for investors. So once they invest in these promising companies, high risk, high return, they need a way to also trade the shares if they want to get out before the company goes on NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. Now, keep in mind, Marsha, most companies don't go public. Right. 99.99% of companies stay private. The very few, the very big go public. Now, you may not know that when Intel went public, they raised 10 million for the company. Wow. Did you know that? No, that's very small. <laughs> Today, that would be impossible to imagine. No one would go public to raise 10 million because then the, the brokers would make $500,000 on the entire IPO. Right, right. $500,000. They want to make $30 million, $50 million, you know? That's right. That means no one can go public unless you're big. And that's right. sad. It so is. that means access to the public capital of the public only now happens with regulation crowdfunding or regulation A, period. Why? Because you can't go public. It's too hard, too expensive. Mm -hmm. So adding a liquidity option would be nice. So we launched secondary, which is our alternative trading system. So we've integrated everything into one organization, the ability to raise up to five million using a very low cost, fast way to go live. Then you can do up to 75 million with regulation A, which takes a little longer because you have to go through the SEC review process. And then we track everything for the for the entrepreneurs so that they only have one name on the cap table, which is Start Engine. So it solves that problem. And then we allow, as a service, the investor to trade with other investors. Why not? So that is what we've built with Start Engine. That's amazing. And you know, it, you did a you just did a very nice summary of that because I was going to ask you if you could explain the difference between the crowdfunding and the broker dealer, but you pretty much just gave us that. But to help our listeners really understand how this would work for an entrepreneur, do you have an example you could give us of the type of company maybe that would do really well coming on to Start Engine and, and how that journey might progress? Well, that was hard for us to, at the beginning to imagine who would work best, correct? Yeah. Uh, who, how would you know? Well, it turns out we've done about 700 offerings and we've raised over $650 million for companies. And now we just bought Seed Invest and they've done, I think they were almost at 
400 million raised. So now combined over a billion raised. And they also had about a couple hundred offerings. So now almost a thousand offerings, you know? So the question is what works? And we distilled it down to three things. One, the first thing is you need a CEO who's willing to put themselves out there. And that is a word that means dialing for dollars when they need to dial for dollars, calling people, marketing, pushing, creating updates, answering the comments themselves so it's authentic to the investors. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But by the way, I don't know if you know, Marsha, but raising money from VCs is a lot of work too. It's a lot of work too, yes. (laughs) It can can take 300 hours, seriously, if you're successful. And it's a binary outcome. But us, if you put 300 hours in a campaign, you'll raise money. You may only raise a million, but that's better than zero, right? Right. The second thing is you need a compelling offering. Now, compelling can be relative, but typically something compelling means that people, a large group of people are very interested. And the third group is a well-defined investor audience. Who are the investors? Are they doctors? because this is a medical device? Or are they people who like green tech because they believe in helping the environment? Whatever it is, it has to be well-defined. When you put those three together, line them up nicely, it's a successful campaign. So then you should argue with me and say, Howard, but what kind of company, right? Right. (laughs) Okay, Howard, what kind of company? It doesn't matter. Really? Wow. What we discovered is that the entrepreneur, the CEO, needs to build a skill set for themselves on how to raise money from the crowd. And once they've built that skill set, they have capital forever and they stay in control because they don't sell board seats and and they don't need to give away control. So let's take an example. We had a company recently that we closed called Boxable. And they started with us raising, you know, a million and three million and 30 million. And they do, what they do is they make tiny homes that are delivered on a flatbed that you can unbox into your backyard. And and now you have a a tiny home that could be an ADU, accessorial dwelling unit. It could be a house to house people, could be anything. And, you know, the journey with them was hard because people did not necessarily understand this concept of tiny homes, right? But then we had other companies come on that were not necessarily obvious. We have a lot of distilleries and breweries who came on and and raised money. But by and large, everyone that came in had a great story to tell. And they were an impressive CEO who was willing to communicate that story and willing to make the investor audience aware of the opportunities behind the story. And again, that's why we distilled those three things. The CEO willing to put themselves out there is key. The CEO who wants to hide in in their corner and, and, and maybe just work on their idea and not communicate does not do well with us. Mm hmm. Well, that totally makes sense. I actually, you know, this company because uh, they're about to start a program with Start Engine, but they had been on a different crowdfunding platform before. They're a peat moss company out of Pittsburgh called Pit Moss. 
And I love the story. We had the CEO on the podcast last year because he was an angel investor and he saw the opportunity with this company and he jumped in as the CEO. But he was able to raise 700000 previously. And I think he'll probably come on your platform and raise even more. But that's a, a pretty cool example of where your customers can then become your investor base. Yeah, I'm not able to comment on that company because it hasn't, you know, we have some rules with the SEC as to you can't highlight one company over the other. So I won't. But I will tell you this, that CEO of the company is well connected in the angel world. That CEO is willing to put himself out there in raising capital and has proven it on another platform, has a compelling offering and a very well-defined audience that is interested in green tech or green-oriented new new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a great recipe for success. So he's experienced success on a previous platform, decided to move on to our platform, which is fine. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to that person. So even when you have something like a medical device, which isn't necessarily something that consumers could buy or or really have anything to do with and during the development phase that too would do well on the platform if they met this recipe absolutely without any doubt we have several examples if you go to our start engine on start engine we have a a thing called success stories so when you you go on our homepage and then you go under learn and it says success stories and 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 I'm I'm pulling up the page so I can comment on on some of the success stories. You know, for example, there's a company called Monogram Orthopedics that raised almost 24 million, and they are helping with surgical knee uh, joint surgical procedures. And wow. that is not consumer. No, that In is fact, not <laughs> right. And then we had another company called Liquid Piston that makes an engine that is more efficient than the regular combustion engine. And they raised $18 million. And then we have a company that is creating these turbines called flower turbine. They create these turbines, these these windmills that are vertical. They look like a tulip. They've raised almost 10 million. So these are not consumer products. Now, we do have consumer products, obviously, uh, that come in regularly and 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 inspire people like i can't talk about the live ones because again there's this issue of highlighting but you know we had a a tequila company called asombroso that raised almost three million pretty cool tequila people got really excited about it you know we, we we have a lot of really cool entrepreneurs you know there's 3d printing companies there are transportation companies, there are retail companies, there are AI companies. I mean, it's it's pretty diverse. Now, I would be, I won't hide you that if you are a plumber and you come in and you want to raise money for your plumbing business, it's going to be very hard, right? right? Because even though you may be a great CEO of a plumbing company, but it's not compelling. Right. It's nothing compelling about plumbing. It, it's necessary, but it's not. It's not talking to you about what the future is going to look like. Right. 
So speaking of that, what is the future going to look like for Start Engine? I know you've just done the acquisition of Seed Invest, and what do you see happening in the future? Well, we 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 introduced recently about a year ago the ability to also invest in collectibles like wine, trading cards, comic books, art, beautiful art from some well very well known artists, and people liked it. So we are going to continue that. I I see us this way. I'll tell you what our mission is obviously to help entrepreneurs and investors to achieve their dreams. It's a very broad mission. It's not specific and it shouldn't be specific. Specifically is this. We want to, we want entrepreneurs who come on our platform to have access to the, their communities to invest in them because they care most about them and they stay in control so that they can accomplish their missions. That's one part. The second part is we want to give investment opportunities available to investors such as collectibles, art, wine, and then of course real estate as well. These are considered in our world when you and I talk to professionals alternative investments. The reason they're called alternative is alternative to what? To the public markets, right? Right. Do you know how many public companies there are in the United States? They're listed on NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. I think it's like 3,000 or something like that. It's 4,700, right? It yeah. used to be 10,000. It it's going down every year. Going down, Why? yeah. I, I did people, are going, down. people are going private, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because of the cost of being public. That's it. The costs are too high. Right. So they're going private or they don't feel they're getting any love for the public markets, right? So... We have a pretty big economy. How is it possible that the entire Wall Street is focused on these 4,700 things and not the 5 million small businesses that are pretty significant in size, you know? Right. Most brokers will not raise a million dollars. They will refuse to do that. In fact, even 10 would be too low for them. They would probably look at anything less than 50 million is not an interesting, you know, for brokers. Mm-hmm. So what are people supposed to do? You go to the banks. They won't lend you unless you have a house that you can mortgage. Then you can go to angels. And angels come in amazingly well. But how many deals do you think angels do a year? Do you have an idea? It's a very small number compared to the number of companies that actually need funding. Right. It's probably, what, 20,000, 30,000 a year? Yeah. That's it. I mean, talk about the entire country, right? Yeah. Okay. There are 800,000 new companies formed a year, of which you could argue a lot of them are LLCs and single you know, ownership, and they don't pretend to be big companies. But okay, let's cut it down to 200,000, 300,000, right? Mm-hmm. That are real businesses a year. And if the angels participate in 20,000 of them, 30,000, that's 10%, right? What are the other companies supposed to do? <laughs> what are they supposed to do? Now, friends and family is always a great place. Bootstrapping is a great thing, but it's not adapted for every company. So we start engine see a great opportunity because there's an unlimited amount of demand for capital. And we need to unlock that relationship between the entrepreneur and the investor. There are 30 million investors in our country that we've identified who are regular investors. They would do you know, ETFs, Mutual funds, individual stocks, like on Robinhood, for example. These 30 million people have the ability to invest. 
our platform right now boasts about a million seven you one million seven hundred thousand users of which you know a small portion are active right we have a long way to go mm-hmm. now we want to offer investors those alternatives I don't like to call them alternative we want to give them access to investments that are directly you know they're opposed to the stock market in a sense that they you don't find them there they are they're unique in what they are real estate as you know real estate provides income and appreciation and these investments such as trading cards and comic books and art have their own i would say appreciation year over year they are diversified investments that's a better word than alternative why the key to investment is to have a portfolio you need more than one thing if you put all your eggs in one basket and you're wrong you're done That's so right. what the key is you diversify and i think angels are great at that because they understand that they can't make one angel investment and be done that's right. not good enough they probably need to do 5 a year 3 a year some people we'll get into a, a fund so that they can get access to instant diversification through fund the fund is great too. The, the only issue is the fund is you have to pay all those fees, right? Mm-hmm. And you're depending on someone else who hopefully is honest, right? Right. You don't know. So it's an indirect investment, but it's good. It's a good investment. By the way, funds only available to accredited investors, correct? Yep. That's true. not available to the 95, 97% of the market. So your fund will only talk again to the same people. I'm, I want to talk to everybody. So yeah. a fund is not a possibility. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is that people can come onto Start Engine and they can get a diversified portfolio on their own pretty quickly. Yeah. They can buy stocks and companies. They can buy wine, a comic book, a piece of a Warhol. They can... Uh, eventually, when we have it, real estate, you know, own a, a piece of a building, that is a nice, I would call diversification on top of your ETF mutual fund, right? Mm-hmm. Great. And you can use your IRA with a self-directed IRA system. Eventually, I think the 401ks are now uh, allowing some diversification. But the point is, an investor who has capital that needs to be invested and appreciate is better than putting it in a bank, but there's risk. So the bank will pay you very little, but the risk is low because you're FDIC insured up to 250,000. But then if you go into investments, you're increasing your risk, but you're also increasing your return. The bank is maybe half a percent and then you can go up the food chain. We believe that you should take, let's say, a small portion of your portfolio, maybe 5%, and own these investments that I just talked. People call them alternative, uh, diversified investments, right? That's what I think we're going to become. We want to be the largest platform in that world. What does that mean? That means look at Schwab. Schwab is a platform you can go in and invest in all sorts of things, not just stocks. You can buy ETFs mutual funds, you can buy real estate. There's a lot of things you can buy. But they don't offer what we offer. Not even close. 
they only offer the same 4,700 things. Yep. That's it. Mm-hmm. And now we will come in and offer hundreds of things and eventually thousands of things and, and eventually tens of thousands of things and eventually hundreds of thousands of things more than the stock market. Think about it. Our platform can offer more things to invest than the stock market. Is that a crazy? Well, it's I, amazing. I think- and and the amount of young people that can be doing this, it, it has the potential to start to bridge a wealth gap. Well, that's a big conversation in its own. You know, this whole wealth gap concept. And, you know, I think you're right. You know, taking more risk will get you more reward, but there's risk. You know, some people will argue. I when I started Star Engine, they argued consumers should not have the right to do this. What do you think? Well, when you're talking about it the way that you just described it, where you're taking five percent of your investable assets, you're not taking ninety percent of your investable assets. You're taking a very small portion. And then you're putting that into an alternative structure as you've just given us a couple options of what that could be. And you're at the same time diversifying where the that 5% is being invested. Well, let's just put it this way. I wish I had had this option when I was 22 and coming out of college and starting a job and knowing that I could participate in an asset class that I had before not been it would not have been accessible to me because I didn't have the that wealth or or income level. And then I could have maybe changed the way that my portfolio built over the over the last several years. Well, now we have this opportunity. And that's why my mission at Start Engine is clear, is to build this opportunity so that whether it's they're starting their career or they're in the middle of their career, investing is still important. Mm-hmm. Again, we have to look at the risk. Let's not kid ourselves. There will be a lot of dead opportunities. And that is true. What, you know, how can you predict it? How can you avoid it? It's hard. It's very hard to do that. But it's possible to diversify. That is true. So the emphasis, I think, for your listeners should be. The diversification is probably the answer as opposed to the the absolute knowledge of picking the right player, right? I, I think you do the best agree. you can. Yeah. And the nice thing about Start Engine is the financials are available the last two years pre, prior to the year. So there's some information available that typically you don't get with an angel investment because the angels don't necessarily require a reviewed or audited financials. Right. Well, I completely agree with you that diversification is the key. And we've talked about that on the podcast before. I actually did a whole episode on diversification and making sure that you have a lot of different types of investments, alternative investments in your portfolio. And Howard, I think it's awesome what you're doing with Start Engine. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope we get to keep having more and more conversations over the next months and years as Start Engine grows. And we slowly and quickly, all at the same time, are peeling back the onion and decide, letting people know what 
crowdfunding really is as we demystify. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Marsha. It was a pleasure. If we want to be the change we want to see in the world, we need to invest in the change we want to see in the world. And what's the best way to learn more about that? Sign up for a class at the Ann and Bill Payne ACA Angel University. Classes are offered often. Look at our website, angelcapitalassociation.org, for the schedule. We offer everything from angel investing basics, which include fundamentals, risks, due diligence, term sheets, valuations, returns, and portfolio strategy. And we also get into a deeper dive with capitalization tables, startup boards, and exit strategies. And if you're not already a member of the Angel Capital Association, you can become one for as little as $250 for the year. And that will give you access to discounts, free webinars, networking, and much more. We'd love to have you join us. The Angel Next Door podcast is informational and not intended to serve as legal, tax, accounting, or investing advice. Our speakers and hosts are thoughtfully selected for their educational value but their opinions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the Angel Capital Association. And the Angel Capital Association does not specifically endorse the use of presenters' products or services. Listeners of the podcast should consult their own tax, investing, legal, or accounting advisors before making important financial decisions. All warranties, including accuracy, completeness, and suitability for specific purpose are disclaimed.